Well, it is 2017 today, so welcome to a new year. Now, the start of a new year usually brings along uh, some, some fresh realities. Uh, if you're a resolutions person, then you're probably in pretty good shape today. Uh, you have probably kept all of your resolutions um, really well. I saw, I saw a funny thing this week. It said, uh, when it came to resolutions about Bible reading, it said, uh, January 1, I'm going to read my Bible uh, this whole year. I'm going to read through it. Uh, January 2, I have some catch-up Bible reading to do. January 3, I don't want to be a legalist or anything, right? Uh, but for today, um, your New Year's resolutions are, are probably intact. Um, it's another, we probably, it's a new year, so you probably have another two weeks or so of writing the, the wrong year on your checks, right? So, I mean, New Year brings some, some fresh realities to us. Uh, and it also brings many wishes of happiness, right? So we've come through the come through the Christmas time, and everyone said "Merry Christmas." And we come to a New Year, and we say "Happy New Year." There's a lot of emphasis on happiness uh, and on merriment. And what I want for you is something so much more than just temporary happiness. And I think what God wants for you is something more than just a fleeting, momentary experience of joy. What I hope for you as we come to a new year is that you will pursue a faithful holiness that will lead to eternal joy. And that's really our message this morning. Pursue faithful holiness that will lead to an eternal joy. As we come to a new year, there might be some soul searching going on as you look back at the year that was or, or as you look forward to the year that's coming, maybe with some amount of hope. Maybe there's some things you hope will be different in this new year. Maybe there's some, some ways that you want to see change in your life or improvement in your life. Uh, maybe as you look forward to a new year, it's not marked by hope. It's marked by uncertainty. Uh, and, and you have no idea what this year will hold and there's a little bit of fear and uncertainty about it. No matter what your perspective of the year that was uh, or the year that's coming, what I hope to encourage you today is to pursue faithful holiness in 2017. The best thing for your soul and your life in this coming year is not just to have a happy new year. The best thing for your soul is to have a holy new year. And so I want to encourage you today to pursue faithful holiness. We're going to see that from Hebrews chapter number 12. So I hope you're already there. Hebrews 12. Uh, Last time I preached, I preached an entire book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And so I've decided we should dial that back a little bit. And so this morning we're just going to do two verses, right? That's a pretty big pendulum swing from a whole book to two verses. But here we go. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think this passage is telling us that we should pursue faithful holiness. And our first point this morning is the motivation to pursue faithful holiness. It's answering the question of why. Why would you pursue faithful holiness? What would be our motivation? It's that first phrase in in verse number one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The reality of Hebrews chapter number 11 is why you should be motivated to pursue faithful holiness. 
we read from some of Hebrews 11, and I hope you're uh, at least generally familiar with what we might call the faith chapter or the hero, uh, the heroes of the faith chapter, the hall of faith chapter. Uh, Hebrews 11 stands as, um, as an ongoing uh, recap, really a, um, bringing the Old Testament into the new, reminding us of what happened in the Old Testament by reminding us of all of these people who lived by faith. And that's why it's important when we get to the therefore uh, to remember. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of uh, Hebrews has reminded us of the faith of people like Abel, who offered a better sacrifice than Cain did because of his faith. And it says that through Abel's faith, even though he died, he still speaks. Right? Abel is still preaching today. It's because of his faith. He still speaks. By faith, people like Enoch was taken up and he didn't even see death because God had taken him. And it was because he had faith in God that, that he pleased God. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, if we don't have faith, it is impossible to please God. Because whoever draw, would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11 stands as a flashing neon sign that says, have faith. It reminds us of the faith of Noah, who believed that God would do something that he had never seen before, right? There had never been a drop of rain, and God said, I'm going to send a flood. And instead of Noah saying, I've never even heard of that rain stuff, this is crazy, he said, I believe you, God, and, and I will build this giant ark. I, I will live my faith. By faith, Abraham was sent out to a place that he didn't, even, he didn't know of, and he left all that was near and dear to him. And by faith, he He looked forward to a land of promise. Now, all of these men and women that we have throughout Hebrews 11, like Sarah, who who was too old to have a child, and yet she considered him faithful who promised, had a child in her old age. All these people had faith. And yet, they all died in faith, Hebrews 11 says, not having received the final thing promised. None of the people in the Old Testament got to the final promise of the Messiah. And yet we have. And for us, and this is why it says at the end of Hebrews 11 that without us they couldn't be made perfect. We get to look back at everything that they were looking forward to. Right? We, we can look back and say, listen, uh, Abel, Noah, Abraham, uh, David, Moses, all of you had faith that God was going to keep his promises and he was going to redeem his people and he was going to send a Messiah. Your faith is It was verified. It it came true, even though you never got to see it, right? And and so you have all these people who live by faith, and living by faith didn't mean they had a rosy life, right? You get the end of Hebrews chapter 11, and you find out that some of them, uh, far from them having a wonderful life and and far from um, this sounding like a great plan, it it, it says that, that some of them suffered mocking and flogging. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were enchained and imprisoned. Some of them were stoned, right? It doesn't sound a whole lot like God loves you and has a beautiful plan for your life, right? Um, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. How's that for a happy New Year's message? Hey, don't forget those people who got cut in half, right? Um, and yet these are people whose faith was legitimate, and it was legitimized because Jesus really came. And, and even just last week, the remembrance of Jesus coming as, as a baby, um, it, we get to look back on that while they, they never got to experience that promise coming to them. And yet they had faith. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to remind us, 
about them because it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. We should be motivated by the faith of those in the Old Testament. Notice it says, since we are surrounded. This is a corporate reality, and it includes the writer of Hebrews. He includes himself. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He says so great because it's not a small number of faithful believers who have come before us, right? Uh, What we believe is not something new and novel. We might be few in this room, but if you look in history, there are many whose faith has been placed in the promises of God. There is a huge group of witnesses. So, so great a cloud. That idea of cloud is like a throng or a whole gathering, right? And it's a gathering of witnesses. Uh, That word witnesses is a word that later would come to be used for martyrs, all right? And when we think of martyrs, we think of those who who gave up their lives, right? In this case, I don't think it's talking about those who necessarily died. It's saying that they gave witness. They they gave testimony, all right? Um, The the reality of, of this great cloud of witnesses is not that they are looking at us, but rather that we are looking to them. Right? So the picture in Hebrews 12.1 is not um, there are all these witnesses who are gathered around watching you try to live out your Christian life. Okay? The, the reality of Hebrews 12.1 is that we are looking to them and their lives testify. You say, how do they do that? This, this is not some cloud of like there's some mystical ghost presence that's following us around, right? And is watching everything you do as if um, Old Testament saints are somehow ghosts that are present on, on earth. The writer of Hebrews just spent all of chapter 11 reminding you of their witness, reminding you of their testimony. We are surrounded, in a sense, throughout the pages of Scripture. Because even though they're dead, they still speak through Scripture, right? Uh, and, and here is maybe a good place for me to plug uh, you reading your Bible. As much as we laugh about um, not getting through Bible reading plans, um, hey, now is a great time to start a Bible reading plan. Uh, because in the Old Testament, there is the witness of people who will motivate you to faithful holiness. Because you will see their lives, and it's intended to change how you look at your life, right? So, Read your Bible, and especially read your Old Testament, right? Don't forget to include your Old Testament, because there is testimony there that will motivate you to holiness, because you'll read of the lives of David and, and of Samson, and, and you'll read about prophets who, who promised something was coming that they never got to experience, and yet they believed it wholeheartedly, and that will motivate you. It will spur you on to faithful holiness, because you'll go, what they said came true. It, it was true. So read your Bible, read your Old Testament. And what marked the Old Testament characters of chapter number 11 was not great accomplishments. It wasn't their political influence. It wasn't their success in life and ministry. It wasn't their necessarily great intellect. It wasn't their accumulation of wealth or any number of other factors that we judge as this is what makes somebody a hero or this is what makes someone a success. What causes this cloud of witnesses to be on our Bibles and, and, and what should motivate us as we look at them, is their faith. It's their faith is what made them great. It's what made them heroes. It's what they testify to us. Others have believed the promises of God and they lived accordingly. And they didn't even get to experience what we now know to be true. They constantly looked forward in faith and hope, but they never saw it. And we get to look back and believe all that they had hoped for. And so we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and that should motivate us to faithful holiness. 
So that's the motivation. That's the why. What's the command? There's, a, there's secondly a command to pursue faithful holiness. This is kind of the what. You say, what, what are we talking about when we say pursue faithful holiness? Here's the command. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And there, there's the command. There, there, is, there is this um, imperative that you pursue faithful holiness. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? Notice that it says, let us also, let us also lay aside every weight. The reality of the people of Hebrews 11, the, the reality of the people of our Old Testament is that they had to lay aside every weight and sin which clung so closely. And they had a race that they had to run with endurance. And so, like them, we should also lay aside every weight. What, what, is, what is this every weight? Uh, this word, every weight, uh, has, has the idea of any kind of weight that you can imagine. It's, it's not a specific word. It could refer to things like clothes, Right, which uh, I mean is really awkward, but when, when they got ready to race uh, back in Bible times, they really, really got rid of every weight. And we're talking every stitch of clothing, every weight, right? That's an, that's an extreme that I, I, I ran uh, track in high school and certainly not willing to go to that extreme of laying aside every weight. Uh, it also has a word, uh, this word of laying aside every weight, not just clothes, but even like the idea of bodily weight. All right, so, and there are some of us that we've had a really good Thanksgiving time and a really good Christmas time, and now we're thinking it's about time to lay aside some of this extra bodily weight, right? Um, this word of laying aside weight is a, is a general word. It's a generic word that could refer to anything that is slowing you down. And I think the point of what we're supposed to lay aside is things that are not necessarily wrong in and themselves, but things that hinder us from running the Christian race. All right? Because he's going to go on to say that we should not just lay aside weight, but also the sin which clings so closely. But this word weight doesn't have to mean sin. And, and I think that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to think this morning about things that hinder us from pursuing holiness. And things that aren't necessarily sin in and of themselves. Now, we have to be careful here because when you start saying that, that someone should stop doing something that isn't necessarily a sin, it's really easy to tip over into some kind of legalistic or, or, or spiritually minded, um, you know, I don't do this, therefore I'm better than somebody else. So we need to be careful there, and yet we still need to hear the admonition that we're supposed to lay aside every weight. Um, there could be things in your life right now that are actually hindering you from pursuing holiness that aren't sinful. Right? You understand that, right? There, there, there are just things in life that can be so burdening you down and distracting your focus uh, that it's actually hindering you from pursuing holiness. And, and it could be any number of things. It, it could be some of your entertainment choices that aren't necessarily sinful, but you're so wrapped up in whatever your version of en- entertainment is, whether, whether it's your, your TV or, or your football or your video game or your, you know, wh- whatever it is, your sewing. Um, I, I just said three guy examples, so I should throw out a, a girl example too, right? Whatever it is that is something that is, it's just got your attention and, 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 and it becomes such a focus that it actually becomes something that is hindering you. Uh, it's, a, it's a weight. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just a weight. I want to encourage you this morning, as you think about 2017, are there things that are hindering your pursuit of holiness that aren't necessarily sin, but they're actually stopping you from pursuing holiness? Because that's something you need to lay aside. That word lay aside has the idea of strip off, like get rid of it. 
This is not because we're trying to set up some kind of new legalistic standard that says how many hours of TV you can watch or, or whatever else. It's because you want to pursue holiness. There is a race to be run in 2017, and you want to do that with endurance. And so lay aside the things that are distracting you from pursuing holiness. I, I can't tell you exactly what those things are in your life, but even as you read these words and as you hear me say, lay aside every weight, there might be something that's coming to your mind right now that you go, this isn't something that's wrong. It's something that I could even enjoy in moderation, but it's actually hindering me from pursuing holiness. Then hear God's word to you this morning and lay it aside. Lay it aside. But he goes on to say, not just lay aside every weight, but also lay aside the sin which clings so closely. The sin which clings so closely. And I think here he transitions from things that aren't necessarily wrong in of themselves. And now he's talking about actual real. The Bible says don't do this, or the Bible says do do this, and you do the opposite. We're talking about sin. We're talking about violating the law of God. We're talking about disobeying God. Sin, things that miss the mark of righteousness. Those things need to be laid aside. All right? You, you need to get rid of sin. Uh, sin is your enemy. Uh, sin will hurt you. Sin brings death and pain. Lay aside sin. Sin is not something to be toyed with. Sin is not something for you to take casually. Sin is something for you to get rid of in 2017. It says it's the sin which clings so closely. And there's kind of this, this wonderfully comforting horror in the Bible of how honest the Bible is, right? Because there's something comforting when it says the sin which clings so closely. Because don't you know that experience in your life like I do in mine? That there's sin and it just clings so tight. It's just right there. And, I, and you hate it. And yet it's there again. And, and maybe you experience some amount of victory, and then you come to the next day, and you go, doggone it, it's back. Like, the struggle is back, and, and it just, it, this clings so closely is really where the idea of a besetting sin came from. And maybe we don't use that terminology too much uh, anymore, but the idea of a sin that we just struggle with, and it's just there. And that's sin, guys. It's just, it's just there. Every morning you wake up with bad hair and sin, right? Like, that's, that's what happens day in and day out. It just, sin clings so closely, and it's horrible. And yet there's a comforting thing that God knows, right? God knows that sin clings so closely. This is, this is something that trips us up. This, this idea of clinging so closely has the idea of a hindrance or, or an obstacle. In fact, the NIV translates it, it so easily entangles, right? Imagine a runner with something around both of his legs trying to run. It entangles him. It snares him. It trips him up. That's sin. And it clings so closely. I haven't seen uh, many of these uh, in a long time, but I remember like when I was a kid in Bible school, these were all the rage. Uh, three-legged races. I haven't seen a three-legged race in a long time, right? Um, but a three-legged race is a wonderful um, thing to watch somebody else do, right? Um, because there's nothing like watching two people um, try to run a three-legged race. You want to talk about a runner that's hindered. Do you know the fastest way to run in a three-legged race it's to get rid of the other person and then just run yourself. That's the best way. Uh, but you can't do that. That's cheating. Uh, but a three-legged race, you, you have something that clings so closely. You have something that entangles you. And it's another person's leg who is strapped to your leg, right? Uh, or maybe also something that you don't see as much anymore is, is a good old sack race. 
right? Uh, a good old sack race, I mean, I remember hunting for like uh, potato sacks and other things we would do. At, so you step into a sack, right? Uh, and, 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 you, and you hold it up, and, and they say in your market set, go. And, and you can't run inside a sack. And, and you're trying, and then you're doing that funny like hop shuffle thing, and people are hopping, and then they get tired, and they're face planting, and everyone's laughing because that's what you do at a sack race. You're laughing at everybody else. Um, It's really hard to run a fast race when you're in a sack or when you're in a three-legged race. The the thing you want to do if you actually want to move is get rid of that sack or get rid of that person uh, that you're tied to, and that's the idea here. When it comes to sin, guys, in 2017, get rid of it. Lay it aside. It's, It's stopping you. It's hindering you from running the race that God has for you, so lay it aside. Lay it aside. He says that not only do we need to lay aside this weight and the sin which clings so closely, it entangles us, but we also need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a, there's a putting aside, there's a putting off that we need to do, and yet it's not just negatively get rid of these bad things. You actually need to move forward in running the race. He says we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, it's... It's a great analogy that's other places in our New Testament, the idea of the Christian life as a race. Right? Um, Paul uses it in, uh, in other places. The, the concept that what we're doing is heading towards a finish line. And, and we're running, and yet we're doing it, we're, we're having to do it, and it's a struggle. This idea of running has the idea of, like, it's a, it's a struggle. It's hard. This is difficult. But this is really the key command of these verses is let us run. And, and, and it's in the present, meaning you have to keep on doing this. Let's, let's keep on running. What I want for you in 2017 is for you to keep on running. Don't stop. Don't, don't slow down. Keep on running this race. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I like this one commentator. He said, everyone has from time to time a mild inclination to do good. Isn't that right? All of us from time to time have a mild inclination to do good. And you know, what we need is endurance in our pursuit of good. Not just a temporary, oh, I, you know, it's a new year. I want to be a better me. Um, you know, I have these goals. I have these health goals. I have these family goals. No, the, the Christian life is, is one that is one of endurance. And you will need to endure in 2017. So keep on running, not just today and not just tomorrow, but still be running in April of 2017, pursuing faithful holiness. Uh, Still be pursuing Christ in September and October and November. And when we get to next year, if the Lord wills, then let it be said of you that you are still running the race with endurance. Let us run. This is a sustained effort. It's It's a marathon and not a sprint. Right? I did some sprinting when, when I was in track. Um, all the sprinters think that, that they're the best, and they look at those distance guys, and they go, oh, those guys are crazy. They just run and run and run and run and run. But, but the distance guys, that's a better analogy for the Christian life. Christian life is not just put forth a little bit of effort, believe the gospel, and then you coast the rest of your life. The, the Christian life is, is a race marked with endurance. You have to hang in there. And when, spiritually speaking, your lungs are burning and your calves feel like they're going to fall off, then what you need to do is keep running. You need to keep running. And maybe you're in that spot uh, today spiritually. You're, you're at that spot where if you've ever been a runner, you, you're just exhausted and you don't want to keep on going. And you're feeling that this morning. You're going, man, I, I am just tired of my battle against sin. I, 
I, I am tired of the circumstances that are, that are in my life that just weigh on me day after day. I'm just tired. Then, then hear the call of Hebrews 12 to keep on running. Keep on running with endurance, the race that is set before us. It's a sweet thing that, that in, in running, everyone has their own race. Uh, the, the individuality of running is part of its appeal, uh, was part of its appeal to me. Um, when you're running, you're running against yourself. You're running against your own time. And, and all of us have our own race. Notice he says, run with endurance, the race that is set before us. And notice, too, when it says the race that is set before us, your race has been set by God, right? Uh, we, we generally like to think that we're in control of our lives, uh, and then we're rudely awakened out of that over and over again, right? But uh, we have a race that is set by God. Uh, you have your own battles and struggles coming to you in 2017. You, you have your own sin issues. You have your own family issues. You, everyone in this room is going to have their own circumstances in 2017. What you need to do is run your race. You don't have to run my race or the race of your neighbor. You have your own race that you need to be running and be running with, and, and it's a race towards faithful holiness. And again, that's why this great cloud of witnesses is, is, is urging us on through their example, have faith, have faith. Keep on believing, run with endurance. Believe the truth of God's word. And when I say believing, that includes obeying, right? If we really believe what God's word says, we Obey what God's word says. So, so we, we believe and we obey. And that is a part of running the race that is set before us. We've come now to our third point. Because maybe it's at this point you go, this is kind of discouraging a little bit. Right? Um, yeah, there's all these other people that had faith. It's so great to be able to look back at you know, Noah and Abel and go, oh yeah, those guys were amazing. Now you just laid this weight of, um, I'm supposed to get rid of every weight. And I'm also supposed to get rid of sin. And that's hard. And this is challenging, and we don't know the hardships that await for us in 2017. Uh, we, don't, we don't know if it's going to be a great year for you or a year of suffering and a year of difficulty. You don't know what's coming, and I don't know what's coming. And you go, how am I possibly going to run with endurance? How could I ever do that? Where could I possibly have the strength to keep on keeping on day after day pursuing faithful holiness? And the good news for us in this passage is Jesus. Because the way to pursue faithful holiness, our third point, how you're going to do that, is by looking to Jesus. You say, I, man, I want to, to faithfully endure. I want to pursue holiness this new, this new year. Tell me how. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus. Maybe you're hoping for something more profound or maybe some more detailed instructions. But if you want to pursue holiness in 2017, if you want to run a race with endurance, if you want to lay aside sin, if you even want to lay aside the weight uh, that isn't necessarily sin, but it's still slowing you down, here's how. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Say, man, that that doesn't sound very complicated. Like, what else? This is it. This is my final third point. Look to Jesus. How can you pursue faithful holiness? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, look. Looking to Jesus. This word looking is not a casual glance, but is, it is a sustained stare has the idea of fixing your gaze on. 
This is not just a passing, oh yeah, dear Jesus, give us a good year, amen, move on, right? No, this is not just Christmas time, we think about baby Jesus, it's time to move on. No, this is not just, oh, it's Easter, let's think about the resurrection of Christ. No, it's not just, hey, it's communion time, we're going to think about Jesus, his body and his blood. No, this is look to Jesus, fix your eyes on him, gaze at him, don't look elsewhere. Put blinders on you from any, and look to Jesus. Why, why would you do that? What, what is it about Jesus that, that would cause us to be able to be holy just by looking at him? Well, think about this. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Have you ever thought about Jesus' role in your faith? Have you thought about that? I think it's easy for us to think about our faith as if it's something that we worked up. It's easy for us to think very individualistically about our faith. It's, it, we can almost get to the point, and, and I, I know we would never say this, but we almost get to the point where we almost think that our faith is what we contribute to get salvation. Right? As, as if our salvation comes to us and, and God has done his part and now I contribute my faith, therefore now I'm saved. And, and you say, what saved you? Well, my faith saved you, me. And we start thinking about our faith as if it's, it's what saves us. You understand that your faith doesn't save you, right? Christ saves you. Faith is just what connects you to Christ, right? You have to have faith in order to be saved. So don't hear me say that you don't have to have faith. What, what I'm saying is we don't have faith in our faith as if it's our faith that... It, No, faith is just the channel. It's just the means to get connected to Christ and his work. What Christ did on the cross, that's what saves you. What Christ did in his resurrection, that's what saves you. Our our faith is, is in Jesus. So when you think about Jesus' role in your faith, Jesus is the founder. He's the author of our faith. And he's the perfecter of our faith. We say Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is where your faith comes from, right? Jesus is the source of your faith, where it originates. He's where our faith starts. And why is that? Well, it's because of Jesus' historical work, and it's because of his personal work. Okay, now I think we need to get this. Why is Jesus the author of faith? Well, it's because of what he did in history, right? His person and his work are who and what we have faith in. In other words, if Jesus had not come as a baby, and if he hadn't lived a perfect life and then died on a cross in our place and been raised from the dead, you wouldn't have anything to have faith in. He's the author of faith because of what he did in history. He's where our faith starts because of what he has accomplished. What Jesus did makes him the author of our faith, but also what he did in each of our own hearts individually makes him the author of our own individual faith. Because the message of Jesus is what caused you to have faith. We're all clear on this, right? Your faith was not something that you drummed up yourself, which is really good news. Like, you should all be, like, smiling. Like, I'm so glad to hear that. Because if your salvation depended on you working up enough faith, then your salvation depends on you, and that's a terrible place to be in. That's not gospel. It's not good news to be told, hey, you've got to contribute to your salvation. That's the opposite of gospel, that's condemnation because you and I are never going to have perfect faith. We, just like we're never going to have perfect obedience, ever. 
So if someone tries to tell you that you have to contribute to get to salvation, no matter what it is, that's not gospel. That's bad news, not good news. Jesus is our faith's source, and the message of Jesus is what caused you to have faith in the first place. Can I prove that? Yeah. Faith comes from what? Hearing, and hearing what? From the word of Christ. Christ is the author of your faith, because when you heard the message of Jesus' life and his sacrifice and his resurrection— It caused you to have faith. He is the author of faith because of what he did historically and what he did personally in your own heart. Without Christ, there is no faith. He is its source. But he is also the perfecter of our faith. And this too is grounded in both history and what he's done for us personally. He's the perfecter of our faith because Jesus completed everything necessary in his salvific work. Right? There isn't anything else left that you have to believe that Jesus hasn't revealed to us or hasn't done for us. What Jesus did in his life and in his sacrifice, it, it made the gospel fully true. He made it possible for us to have faith in a completed, perfect gospel story. He is the perfecter of faith. There isn't something else out there that you have to put faith in in order to come to salvation other than this glorious good news of what Jesus did in history. He's the perfecter of faith. There isn't, there isn't like step number two besides looking to Jesus when it comes to having perfect faith. Right? He's the perfecter of faith. He did that historically, and at the same time, he's doing that individually in our hearts. Because what Christ is doing right now is bringing your faith to its full perfection. And that, too, is really good news. The perfecting of your faith relies on Jesus. And he will bring it to its fullness. Just like he started the faith in your heart, he will bring it to its perfection. There is a day coming when your faith will become sight. And what is it that makes faith become sight? It's when Jesus is here and then we become like him. Why? Because we see him as he is. He will be the perfecter of your faith. And all of your hopes and your dreams of of being saved from your sin and being rescued from this cursed body and this cursed earth, it will come true in Jesus because he is the perfecter of your faith. So look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This This is how you could ever obey the command to lay aside weight and sin which clings so closely, and how you could ever run a race with endurance, not by looking to yourself, not by looking to your good hopes or your good accomplishments, but by looking to Jesus who began our faith and who will perfect our faith. Look what he did as as an example to us. It says, who, in verse number two, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Right? So, so Hebrews and I have called you to run a race with endurance. But Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured a cross. Another commentator said, Jesus looked right through the cross to the coming joy, the joy of bringing salvation to those he loves. That's sweet. There was a joy that was set before Jesus that caused him to endure the cross. And that's why I said what I hope for us is not just temporary happiness. I I want you to be happy. I I do want you to have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happiness is a nice thing. It's just not an ultimate thing, right? Temporary happiness. 
the, 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 oh, I had a really good day or I had a really good week. Man, if that's what we live for, you will be left so disappointed in this life that is so broken and so unable to bring you ultimate happiness. There is a joy that is ahead that is better than any happiness you can have that is now. And, and, and Jesus was willing to endure even a cross because of the joy that he saw ahead. Right? Enduring a cross, that's not fun. Uh, that, that's not something that any of us would sign up for. But Jesus endured a cross because of the joy that was set before him. There was a joy coming for Jesus when, when, when he would rise triumphant from the dead. There, there was a joy. Think about the delight there was when the Father and the Son were, were reunited in his ascension as he returned to heaven and as he returned to the place where angels day in and day out would cry, holy, holy, holy to Jesus himself. Think about the joy of his return from his, his salvific work here on earth. There was a joy that was ahead of him. And then think about the joy of Jesus, like the joy of, of a groom seeing his bride as Jesus looks forward forward to all of the redeemed coming to him when when he looks forward to the day that the church will be full and complete there is a joy that was set before jesus that made him go the cross i will endure the joy is before me look to jesus who shows us that that it is better for us to see a joy in the future than experience temporary comfort aren't you glad that jesus didn't prioritize having the happiest year of his life Because enduring the cross, that's not a happy year. That's not a happy moment. But Jesus was willing to say, I will endure for the joy that is set before me. He endured. Jesus already has endured not just any hardship, but he endured the cross. And we are oh so used to saying the cross. And we can just breeze past this and say, yeah, he endured the cross and, and we move on. But you remember what it meant for him to endure a cross, right? You you remember that his back was beaten with whips. You remember that his face was punched over and over again, right? You remember that they placed a crown of thorns and jammed it into his head, right? You remember that this is what he endured. You you remember that his body was so weak he couldn't even carry the crossbeam of his cross, right? You you remember that they actually, they, they pounded real physical nails through Jesus' real physical body in order to nail him to a piece of wood. And that he really hung between the ground and, he, and, and in the air, unable to breathe as his lungs filled with fluid, as he suffocated, excruciating pain, and not just endured all that physical agony, but, but you remember that when we say he endured the cross, he endured the Father pouring out all of his wrath on all of the sin that you and I have ever done and every other believing person, every sin that every believing person has ever done was fully punished on Jesus at the cross. And he endured it for the joy that was set before him. And that's why I say, how can you endure whatever 2017 holds? You can look to Jesus because he endured a cross for the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame Think about the shame of the crucifixion. Think, think about all the insults that Jesus received. I, I have not been insulted very many times in my life at all. Uh, and, and yet I can still remember the names that some people have called me, right? Something about an insult, it just sticks, right? It hurts. 
Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's like the biggest lie ever. Um, words hurt, and, and people poured out um, insults, and, and, they, and there was the shame of Jesus being spit on. I, I just did this lesson with the kids uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and you just think about that. Like, how, ins- how rude is it for someone to spit on you? And yet, people repeatedly spit on Jesus in the face. There was a shame that came with the crucifixion. Think about the fact that the crucifixion was a criminal's execution, right? It's already shameful. This is, this is for low, dirty criminals. On top of that, the shame of the moment as he hangs there completely naked and very alone. And yet what Jesus did is he despised that shame. In other words, he looked at that shame and he said, that's nothing in comparison to the joy that is set before me. I will endure this because of what I know is ahead. And that's how we can possibly endure the, the, our fight with sin and whatever this year holds. Because we can look to Jesus who had that kind of endurance. And, and look at the end. If you want to be encouraged, how can we possibly endure? Look to Jesus because not only was he willing to, to go through all of this, but the result of this is that he is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated. Has the idea of he sat down one time, it was done, and it was done. And what happened when Jesus endured? He sat down at the right hand of the Father, the right hand representing the power. And he sat down because of the work that was done. It, it was finished. And there is a relief and a rest and a glory that is in these words, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's where he ought to be enthroned at God's right hand. Jesus is the perfect example of pursuing faithful holiness and receiving its glorious result. You say, how does looking to Jesus change me in 2017? Well, your faith is in Christ and not in your circumstances or in yourselves. Both your circumstances in 2017 might let you down in a big way. And, and, yourself, you might let yourself down in a big way. But Christ, he is the author and perfecter of our faith, and if you look to him, he will not let you down. You can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you looking to Jesus as, as your place of hope, or have, have you kind of gone into coast mode where you go, I'm really glad that I've, I mean, I followed Christ for a while. I'm doing, I'm doing really good. Uh, and, and you've lost, actually, that, that your confidence is not in yourself, but it's in the, the work of Jesus Christ. He's going to complete the work that he's done. Paul said in Galatians, having begun the Spirit, we are not, not now made perfect by the flesh, right? The, the Holy Spirit work that was begun in you is going to be completed, and you can have hope in that and confidence in that. Your salvation, Christian, your sanctification, your, your glorification, it's entirely sure. It's going to happen. But my experience, you might cry. My, my experience says, I'm failing, I'm, I'm falling, this is hard, life is difficult. You can subject your experience to your faith and then live accordingly. What are you afraid of in 2017? Will will God's purposes fail for you this year? Will his love run out? Will he lack the power to do what he wants to do in your life? Christ is not just where your faith began. He's the perfecter of your faith, and he will not fail you. So look to him 
as you pursue holiness in 2017? How does looking to Jesus change us? Look, if you look to Jesus and you consider the cross, I I don't know what hard thing lies ahead of you. I don't know what hard thing lies ahead of me, right? But no matter what hard thing, and, and, and that's not to downplay hard things. There are legitimately difficult things that you might be facing right now or, or that you don't even know you're facing and, and you're going to in 2017. But listen, none of us have ever had to suffer what Jesus suffered at the cross. And none of us ever will. None of us will ever know the depth of the agony and the suffering that, that Jesus had to go through because of his love for you and his love for me and his desire to save a people for himself. Our suffering will always pale in comparison to the suffering of Christ if we look at the suffering of Christ accurately. 2017 might not be rosy, but your sins are paid for. Christ, who is greater than you, shows us how to suffer with faith. And there is joy ahead of you. Looking to Jesus will remind you that there is joy ahead of you. And that should motivate us to run hard after holiness. Look to Jesus. I was already thinking about this song before I got to today. And then uh, earlier this week, I went to the funeral for uh, Mark Hayward, uh, which was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing service, amazing funeral. One of the things they did at that funeral was have someone uh, play on the violin, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and then everyone in the room sang. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You say, it's too simple. Tell me more. I I want something else. Listen, people say the same thing about the gospel, that it's not complicated enough. There must be more than just faith. You know that's not true when it comes to the gospel, so apply your same theological convictions about salvation to your sanctification. Look to Jesus, and you will be changed. No one who looks to Jesus and sees him can stay the same. It's not possible for you to look to Jesus and be unchanged. The just will live by faith, so keep looking to Jesus. And I know inside all of us, there's this desire of, well, I, I want, you know, 10 habits to a, to a better life or, or, or six tips to a, to a greater family and 13 keys to a happier marriage. And, and like, there's lots of practical advice that, that has its place. Uh, and, and we need practical wisdom. But don't let a desire for steps and a program distract you from the one way you will grow in holiness in 2017. There's one way for you to grow in holiness in 2017. It's not a big secret. It's right here. Look to Jesus, and you will grow in holiness. Look to Jesus in his word. So as you're reading your Bibles, look for Jesus. Look for his character. Look for his actions. Look for promises about him in the Old Testament. Look for things that were true about him in the New. Look to Jesus in his word. You say, I wish I could see Jesus physically. One day, you will. But right now, you can look to Jesus in his word, and you can see him full of grace and truth. Look to Jesus in preaching. When, when you hear someone preach, whether it's this pulpit or a, or a different one, listen for Jesus. Look in the sermon. Look in the passage for where is Jesus. Look to Christ in the songs you sing. Uh, don't settle for Christless songs. Not on this platform and not anywhere else. You want to look to Christ, so you want to sing about him. Look to Christ in fellowship with other believers. 
uh, don't settle for, for just another, hey, how are you? I'm fine. How about, how about that football game? Let, let's talk about Christ and let's look to him. Look to Christ in the books that you read. Do they, do they point you to Christ? Because if you look to Christ, you will become more and more holy. You cannot look at Christ and be unchanged. We don't need a new spiritual gimmick this new year. You don't. You don't need a, a best-selling book to radically alter your life in 2017. You don't need a new famous celebrity pastor. You don't need some kind of spiritual guru. This is what you need if you want to grow in holiness in 2017. You need to look to Jesus. If you will look to Jesus, you will pursue faithful holiness. And that holiness will lead you to an eternal kind of happiness. A joy that is set before you that is worth pursuing. It's better than just a happy new year. You can have a happy eternity because you're willing to endure what is now for the joy that is set before you. It's possible this morning that some of you have never even started to look to Christ. And I want to urge you this morning. It's the beginning of a new year. Today could be the beginning of a new spiritual life for you. That you would look to Jesus and for the first time say, Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life for, for me. And you died on a cross. And that's not just true. You were dying because I sinned against you. And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead because you are stronger than death and Satan. And I trust you to save me from my sins. And I want to turn away from my sin. And I want to turn to you. You, you may have never been to that point, And today could be that day for you where you will start looking to Jesus. Today, you can look to Jesus for the first time. And I want to beg you to turn to Jesus if you never have. But if you have turned to Jesus and you say, I am a follower of Christ. I do believe that what he did at the cross saved me from my sin. I do believe he, ro- he rose from the dead. Then can I encourage you this morning, in 2017, run your race with endurance. Faithfully pursue holiness by looking to Jesus and you will find eternal happiness.